0: Resilience is about shifting our state individually or in groups to be more present, more open and connected, more resourced, so that we can actually face what is and take skillful action.
1: Welcome to the Trauma Sensitive Mindfulness Podcast. I'm David Trelevin, and this is a podcast that explores the intersection of mindfulness, meditation, and traumatic stress. In this episode, I'm speaking with Stacy Haynes. Stacy is the author of two important books on trauma. One is Healing Sex, which offers a somatic approach to recovering from sexual trauma. And most recently, she's the author of The Politics of Trauma, which offers an understanding of traumatic stress that's rooted in a strong social analysis of the world. Stacy is the co-founder of Generative Somatics, which is a multiracial organization offering somatics embodied leadership, and trauma healing to social and environmental justice organizers. She's also the founder of Generation 5, which is an organization with the mission of ending the sexual abuse of children within five generations. Our conversation here centered on her work, her writing, her assessment of the impact of COVID-19, and also the role embodiment, resilience, and trauma healing can play at this time. Stacey's been an important teacher for me, I think highly of her work, and I was really excited to have her here on the podcast. So without further ado, I bring you Stacey Haynes. So I'm here with Stacey Haynes. Stacy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
0: Happy to spend time with you.
1: I have known you for a while, as mm-hmm. I will have said um, in the intro. You've been someone who's been such an important person and reference point in my life for the way that you talk about so many things that i imagine we'll be covering here on the podcast and i'm wondering if we could just start for people that don't know you a little bit about you you've built been a part of building two big organizations um you've done a lot in your life so how did you get here what do you want us to know about you (laughs)
0: um great So I have been in this world of somatics or really uh, methodology and and practice for embodied transformation, right? That's what somatics is, for now 25 years, amazingly. Wow. And I got to it when I was young and I really stayed. And one of the reasons that I I stayed is that I saw that somatics both invites a quality of vision, yearning. could we we want to expand into being while it is incredibly pragmatic and that combination of vision plus pragmatism depth plus action those combinations are what really really drew me and kept me in the work mm-hmm. along with seeing that somatics was useful to a wide range of people which you and i will talk more about mm-hmm. so i really had a, a a passion in two worlds for a long time one has been really around people, like how do people change? How do we change? How do we heal? And the other is really in social systems, like how do we transform social systems to be more just, more in right relationship with the planet? And really, how do we build social systems that uplift our capacity to cooperate and be interdependent and and really decrease the amount of trauma that's caused by broader systems of oppression or uh, an economy that only works for some. So I was step-by-step through my 20s and 30s about kind of one foot in the healing world, which ended up being often classed uh, primarily white. Um, I was usually there on scholarship doing everyone's dishes. And then the other foot in activism and social justice work, Um, initially around, I mean, I planted myself in a few places, but but Generation 5 is the first organization that I, that I co-built, uh, which is really focused on ending the sexual abuse of children within five generations and holding child sexual abuse as a systemic social issue, not just as a therapeutic issue. And then over the last decade, I really got to bring together social change, organizing, activism with embodied transformation work or healing work in the organization I co-founded called Generative Somatics.
1: And then this all led to this most recent book around the politics of trauma, which we can talk about. And you were, these two organizations, Gen 5 being the first one, that was one of the first ways I heard about you. And you were talking about trauma in a way that was not just making trauma an individual tragedy. It was, it was always connecting to larger social systems. Mm-hmm. And it, it often, when I first met you, I thought, how did this, how did you make these connection or, or bridges and who were the leaders or teachers that had you thinking about trauma out of the box of trauma, just being this individual experience and tragedy, but making it connected to bigger systems like generation five, where you're saying childhood sexual abuse isn't just an individual, even a family occurrence, it's, it's embedded in something bigger. How did that happen? Were there people that led you there? Was it, um, Mm -hmm. your own experiences? I'm so curious how that woke up for you.
0: Yeah. Thanks for asking. You know, I really hold that we all have teachers. We all have books, movies, all kinds of things that influence us. And then we're all born into a particular time, right. That also shapes (laughs) us. And so there's many factors as A child, I really grew up in the context and a household where there was domestic violence or intimate partner violence. Mm -hmm. And then also where me and, well, I'll just speak for myself, I was sexually abused. I have two sisters also. Mm -hmm. And um, my father was one of the main people who sexually abused me. And Obviously, as a kid, you're just trying to survive all of that and navigate Mm -hmm. and like go to school and make friends and right. You're just like navigating all that at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then very fortunately, um, I started getting politicized at the end of high school. I'm from Colorado, grew up in high in the Rockies Mm -hmm. where nature was much bigger than people, which is a very big part of my resilience, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. Mm -hmm. Probably many folks know the book, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, which is really about the colonization of the United States and the many, many, many broken treaties with indigenous people of this, of this land. And I think there was something that hit me in getting to read that where I went, wait, 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 if, if Christopher Columbus discovering America is a lie and there's this horrible ground upon which this nation was founded, what else is not as I was told? And it kind of, I, I always think of it as kind of a set of dominoes being, mm-hmm. you know, being being knocked down. And then I went to a progressive college and I really, really have to think I was there in the 80s and early 90s and third wave feminism was really burgeoning onto the scene. And I got exposed to and got taught by just some incredible third wave feminists, Audre Lorde, uh, Bell Hooks, Chandra Mahante. Mary Beth Krause, I just really got politicized and exposed to an intersectional understanding of exploitation and oppression. Mm-hmm. And
2: mm-hmm.
0: I also, in that time, was really starting to both break down and break through and needing to start actively doing my own healing work. Yeah. And for me, it was kind of like, I was so terrified to go into the work. It was so terrifying because I was basically just going to lose a whole perception of my life that i had tried to glue together, right, to stay together yeah. with my family. And um for me somehow because i was seeing the the history, the broader history of liberation work and social change work, i just thought well all those people who did all this social change work before me is actually making my life easier. How do i continue this and make the future easier for others? Mm-hmm. And there were just some days when I could not face the pain of my own healing for myself. So I went, okay, I can't do it for me today. I can do it for the future today. And mm-hmm. they just got very embedded. Personal change, mm-hmm. social change. They're not the same thing, which is important. I really talk about in the book. They're actually different skill sets, yeah. but I hold them as highly interdependent and like mutually informing. Yeah. So that's some of, some of the story.
1: Could you talk about that last piece that you said? I know we're moving towards talking about the current circumstances, you know, recording this in the midst of the pandemic or on COVID. Yeah. And I, I think we can take exactly what you're saying and, and really apply a certain analysis to this moment. And, and we can talk about that from different angles. That last thing that you said about, I think I once heard you say in a talk that you you've been straddling in many ways, the, uh, these different, on one side, we have individual healing, on the other side, collective social change work, and mm-hmm. that you're getting a cramp by <laughs> having your trying to straddle both, and that you and others have been a part over the past, seems like 10 or 15 years, mm-hmm. of bringing those worlds together to have yeah. conversations around healing justice, the transformation. There can be individual healing work while there can be social change work. Can you just talk for a moment about what's your assessment of? of the field right now as you're offering this book around the politics of trauma, Mm -hmm. what's your analysis of, are, are those two closer together these days? Mm -hmm. Could they be closer together? Mm -hmm. What do you, um, what do you see there? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I see, I see a lot. I mean, first of all, I want to acknowledge that many movements over time have connected individual transformation with, the political transformation. There's mm-hmm. many examples inside of the civil rights movement in, in the U.S. And there's many international examples as well when we can look at the Zapatistas. So I want to say it isn't like um, new. It's you, didn't, almost, you
1: didn't come up with this. It's not just your...
0: God, no. You know, and also we in our current moment. It's like right, the U.S. Right. didn't come up with it in the 2000s. You know,
2: right,
0: right. So to just remember, it's like we always have many, many peoples at our backs, and in many times I see this naming of healing justice because the work has been going on a long time, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but the naming of healing justice is kind of a more current thing happening in the U.S. context. I do think it's growing. I I Mm -hmm. think that that we're in a certain moment. Again, I'll talk about the U.S. context, but in this moment, both broader culturally more and more people are going wait how do i grow how do i transform what's meaningful anyway if we see the just massive growth of mindfulness the massive growth of mm-hmm. of yoga in the US and then we also have obviously we are facing some of the most how do i want to say it challenging mm-hmm. <laughs> social conditions with climate and i'm going to say climate justice because you know what we mean are Large inequities and disparities in wealth, the increasing exploitation and taking of land from indigenous peoples, the intensifying of the expression of white supremacy through the Trump era, and climate. It's like, are we going to solve this? Are we going to pivot ourselves and our economy in time to keep in balance with the earth? I mean, it's a very, very big set of things we're grappling with in our generation. Yes. And why I say all of that is I think this kind of, if we look at it as kind of um, over the last 20 years and then 10 years intensively, this kind of new, I don't know if you can say new resurgence, new, I don't know what the word is, but kind of lifting up of healing justice and transformative practice connected to social change work, I do think we're in a growth period i do think our generation is trying to figure something out about the interdependence between personal and systemic change and i think a lot of headway is being made and you know naturally a lot of mistakes are being made too because how do you innovate without making mistakes Uh, yeah absolutely
1: yeah i think there's a thread here inside of contemplative communities and movements uh that has had many different iterations similar to what you're speaking about of people making connections making bridges so a Buddhist Peace Fellowship here, which I believe started in well, maybe the late 70s or 80s, uh, and then has actually morphed in the last couple of years. Different directors, different leadership, just many different iterations, as you're saying. And I appreciate you reminding me and others, it's not just a contemporary experience yeah. that there's, there's history here at, at our backs. Yeah. And one of my experiences with the mindfulness community, often a lot of people that I meet is... For those that are more politicized who are interested in say for example climate who are leveraging practice not just towards feeling better though that or having more of a sense of stability and peace internally and individually though Mm -hmm. that might happen but actually to say how can i and how can we use practice in order to be eyes wide open about this moment and increase our capacity that's right to actually turn and face and be present with what is this just this looming pressure around mm-hmm. climate that is actually i guess in many ways here right now and so maybe this could be a segue be- because we were talking about you and i really talking about this moment and mm-hmm. talking about and covid and mm-hmm. and can we shorten it to covid now is that seems it's covid-19 but it seems like we're saying covid so you know.
0: <laughs> Think we all know what we mean at this point. Say, yeah,
1: COVID. <laughs> yeah. You've been in this domain of embodiment, somatics, transformative practice with this lens that you've been talking about around social change work and in also around elements of resilience. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, we think about all the different work you've been doing, how this is how this could translate um, in this moment in terms of both an analysis of what we're seeing happening and then what practices can offer. Mm -hmm. So does this feel like a good pivot point into maybe what are you seeing right now with COVID and and how are you thinking about it through the lens of all the work that you've been doing around embodiment?
0: Yeah. Let's explore together because there's so (laughs) much to say. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. One of the things I appreciate so deeply about somatics and also understanding trauma, right? Because I've also centered my work on the The impacts of trauma and also the traumatic impact of oppression, right? Mm -hmm. And then how do we heal? And then how do we take collective action? But what's great about somatics and an understanding of trauma is it's all about pressure. Like what happens to us individually and collectively under increased pressure? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first thing that I want to acknowledge is like people are dying, right? It, It is a very profound time. There's an incredible amount of loss, and then, as we know that while we're all impacted, we're not impacted equally. You know, while we all will likely be connected to some form of loss, the loss is concentrated in more oppressed and impacted communities, so we'll mm-hmm. we'll talk about that as we go. But under pressure it's predictable what happens to us when we go down to the level of the soma. And what I mean by the soma is it's kind of the, we might call it the mind-body, we might call it the psychobiology, but it's basically our our feeling, our thinking, our relating, our action, our non-action embodied, right? That's what the soma is. Um, but under pressure, We do predictable things that have usually been habituated from when we were young up into the current time.
1: What we've embodied.
0: Yes, we embodied them exactly. In our work, (laughs) we we call them conditioned tendencies, which are survival habits that we developed. Mm -hmm. I think most everyone has heard of fight flight response. Um, We expanded, as many people do now, to fight flight, freeze, appease, and dissociate. Mm -hmm. So, under very high levels of pressure or Traumatic pressure will go into these very automatic responses in order to take care of safety, in order to take care of belonging or being connected, and in order to take care of what we think of as dignity or significance of like mattering, of having Mm -hmm. worth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can think right now we're under this massive collective pressure, and then we're under a varying degree of individual pressure depending on where we're located. Some people were employed three weeks ago and now are not employed. Yeah. Some people do not have housing. Um, I think a lot about folks in the country right now. It's like our economy depends on undocumented folks and folks who are undocumented are getting no access to the big government package, right? That just got put out. That's mm-hmm. only for citizens, right? Some cities are pivoting that. So the pressure is different depending on where we are, but we can really go, okay, we are under this pressure. What is happening? What habits, what automatic behavior, what automatic ways of thinking are coming out of me because we're under this increased personal and collective pressure? My next question, and then I will pause and let you get a word in edgewise, is um, that um, once we go get kind of caught in these conditioned tendencies or habits, or once we get thrown into a fight, flight, freeze, appease, or dissociative response, it actually takes a kind of intervention to recenter ourselves, to calm our psychobiologies, to get reconnected to ourselves and others and also what we care about, and make decisions from that place usually Mm -hmm. when we're making decisions from a reactive state, they're not that good a decision. Mm -hmm. But when we can bring ourselves back, which resilience, this is one of the biggest contributions I think that embodied work has to do in this time is we can help ourselves and each other access resilience and resettle or recenter inside of ourselves so that we are making decisions and taking action based on that rather than based on a triggered state. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: It resonates with something I was reading around talking about the pandemic as a stress test, as a collective stress test that we get to see what's being revealed. I also heard someone talk about growing up in on the East Coast, I believe, where the tide would go out in a really big way, and that this is one of those moments that when the tide goes out, and you can see what's all been happening. Uh-huh. Underneath the the waves, I thought, yeah. a, what a powerful image to see the, the jagged rocks, the beauty, the 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 danger, and it does feel like a moment that the tide's just really out. Hmm. And what you're saying about conditioned tendency really rings true about what what things we have done, what has gotten so deeply entrenched, is coming to light. And one of the things I've heard you talk about is the ways that those habitual, deeply intelligent responses like fight, flight, freeze, um, or otherwise, that they will both take care of something and that there's also a cost to them at the same time. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you could apply some kind of a similar analysis to what are you seeing out there right now in terms of, it sounds like the conditions are getting revealed mm-hmm. uh, around where there has been inequity, who's getting targeted. Mm-hmm. And then there's also just, well, what has this been taken care of? Where is it working? Where is it not so i'm I'm actually just curious what you're noticing and seeing as the tides out, um, both even in smaller communities or even larger at the level of the state. What's possible here in terms of that intervention that you're talking about?
0: Yeah well, this is one of those places where I want to be careful not to c- collapse what can happen in kind of individual or small group somas or bodies and what's happening at the level of the economy and society. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break these apart a little bit. Great, yeah, great. Because they don't match in overlay exactly. Mm-hmm. So when I think about, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing some writing right now, and I thought, well, all of us who've been really bringing together transformative practice, whether it's somatics or meditation or other healing justice uh, practices and social change, is this what we've been practicing for, mm-hmm. right? Is this mm-hmm. what we've been practicing for? And are there enough of us right now that we can help continue to reset, reset the, the collective bodies of social justice organizations? Can we help to recenter and pivot strategies for our times? I mean, we have a massive election coming up this fall in our country <laughs> um, mm-hmm. for the president, So, so at the individual and group level, I really think there's a lot that we can access and do around resilience, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like accessing the states, being in practice, purposefully cultivating resilience because we're up against a high level of collective anxiety. Yeah. And as we do that again, you know, both do the self family and community care that's needed and then also look out and go, how can we contribute to using this moment to take care of the folks most impacted and to use this moment for purposeful change. Mm-hmm. And so everyone I I have talked to and I'm reading a lot, everyone is in a pivot. Like how do we pivot in this moment? And kind of I, I want to add to that what from what state are we deciding on our pivot? Mm-hmm. Is it a triggered state or is it a more resilient state? If it's a more triggered state, how can we get ourselves more centered or resilient first before we pivot? And then what values, based on what values are we pivoting, or toward what values are we pivoting? So naturally, like in any crisis, we're thrown into a certain level of survival. It's like, of course, and and food and housing and access to healthcare, those are all, all essential and a lot of people are going, how do I keep my small business afloat? Mm-hmm. How do we keep our nonprofit afloat? And then th- there's these massive corporations getting very large amounts of money right now, right? So let me bring myself back around here. So it's also a good time to, I think, look at our values. And I think your, your metaphor of the tide being out is amazing because it is going. It lets us look at how society and the economy is structured and where priority is put or where who whose lives in some ways in some way are held as more valuable and whose are held as less valuable and that is a very important thing to look at
2: mm-hmm.
0: for oppressed communities it's not new news but because this is so much in the mainstream press it feels very important to go okay when the tide comes back in is that what we still want the tide to be working for or can we use this again for more equity for a more right relationship with the planet and climate justice,
1: yeah, yeah, it makes me think of both the potential for transformation and change to go in either direction. We like we there's you there know? is the opening here, and it makes me think of Naomi Klein's work around disaster yeah. capitalism and saying it's these moments of vulnerability where power grabs can happen, and so, when I hear you talk about resilience and practice, really, that, that that's going to support a pivoting towards an alignment of values, for example. Or, I mean, I basically hear you saying that practice right now would be helpful in order to align on what are the moves that we want to make here. What are the, and when I, when, you, when we say we, also I want to ask when you say we, who you're referring to here, does it feel like a family, a community, the left? How would you like to talk about we, and then how can resilience or practice more generally help with that kind of, uh, centering or alignment around what values we want to be working with right now?
0: So I I just want to frame resilience from a somatic orientation. So how we really look at resilience is it, it is our way of bouncing back. really during or after and after um, very difficult like highly pressured oppressive and or traumatic experiences and i want to start with that we're inherently resilient it's not that we're resilient because of traumatic experiences we're inherently resilient and it tends to rush to the foreground (laughs) in difficult in difficult times um so resilience is, is really what gives a sense a sense of hope. It can reset us from like a hyper alert or hyper aroused state, um, kind of looking for what's wrong, being stressed, feeling afraid. It can reset us to a more calmed and reconnected way of being, both with ourselves and others. That sounds Another, great. Another exactly. Can we have Sign me some of up that. For that? Exactly. Yeah. Um, resilience also brings back a positive imagination of the future. And you know how when, when we get really caught or stressed or in a hyper-aroused state, it can be like, everything's bad, things are really bad, I have to prevent the bad, right? No, when ner- I don't know that one. <laughs> I know. You've never had that experience before. No. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> resilience does this thing of landing us back in a state where we can have a positive imagination for the future mm. and lets us reestablish both safety and connection, Right when we get threatened around safety or we get threatened around connection or significance those are the threats that tend to really send us into these more fight fight responses or habits that we created in our past that we're also built out of trying to take care of safety belonging and dignity yeah. so resilience resilience it keeps inviting us toward possibility toward healing Toward connection, toward strength, and really toward feeling more, right? Resilience isn't about, isn't about numbing, even though sometimes we want to right now. Right. So with that, what I wanna, I mean, if people who are listening wanna do this, but I really want to invite you, me, people listening, to access experiences in the past that have brought them a deep sense of. Resilience. And, you know, the research around resilience takes us in a few directions. It says, you know, nature brings us resilience, animals, Uh, spirituality, like feeling connected to something more vast. It's not necessarily religion, but connected to the vastness or the mystery. Um, It is all forms of art, right? Music, drumming, drawing, painting. Dance, right? These forms of creative expression bring us a lot of resilience. And then another one that feels important is um, helping others, right? Helping others helps also bring us resilience. And I find this one contradictory for many of us who are caught in our house <laughs> with the same people every day, um, or by ourselves every day. It's a really different thing to try to help over on, you know, online. Um, Some people can get out in their communities, but it's very important that we're not doing that right now. So in inviting people into whatever your version of resilience is, and most of us have many, but to really look at and access what has been a strong source of resilience for me in the past that has really shifted my state in the way that we're talking about. And we can even start with just remembering that viscerally um, for me, I'm just gonna use an example. It's like here I am on the side of a mountain in the Rockies where I grew up. And there's the coolness in the breeze, but the warmth of the sun, the smell of the dry dirt, this vista, right? That's just beautiful, that seems to go range after range after range. That's one of the places I can go to just really remember and help myself viscerally start to shift into more of a state of resilience and then what we want to do in this time and anyone who's been on a path of practice knows that when things get harder practice more right Right. when -hmm. things get more stressful practice more now sometimes it's when we want to pop out of practice but it's really time to double down so bring resilience purposely into your daily practice And even if that's your walk around the block or your walk around the house, however you're getting a little exercise, connect in with that memory of resilience or even with something current day, right? If you can access any of your resilience current day, access it, feel it, let it into your nervous system, let it affect you. Mm. But whatever your daily practice is, build resilience into the middle of it because it's so needed given, given the collective stress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you want to add to that before I go to who's the we?
1: Well, I have a question uh, about whether I'm thinking if I was hearing that for the first time in this particular moment, there's a way that it could feel like just turn to the bright things or look on the bright side, which I know because I know and read the book and this chapter on resilience and I've heard you talk about it enough to know that's not what you mean. Mm-hmm. And could you talk a little bit about, again, I'm thinking back to the disaster capitalism part of, yeah. I'm imagining certain forces grabbing power and others just, if we're saying, well, just practice, <laughs> then a potential, um, a potential missed opportunity. So with resilience, could you talk a little bit about that dynamic of not just, uh, Sunshine yeah, and roses, sure. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, and also I want to say again, in kind of going, what can we do individually and in small groups, and then what can we do collectively? This is really in the bucket of individuals and small groups, and then when I go, what can we do collectively? What we can do is organize, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, I will, I will speak to that. So, um, uh, so what resilience isn't is a tool by which we can numb ourselves and ignore what's happening in the world or in ourselves. Mm -hmm. What resilience isn't is like, let me just make it all sunny for me over here while I'm, I'm, I'm in my shelter in place because it's too stressful out there. It isn't about disconnecting. Resilience is about shifting our state individually or in groups to be more present more open and connected, more resourced, so that we can actually face what is and take skillful action. Yep. Yeah. What resilience also isn't is a thing to kind of pass on, like, or slap on to peoples who are really being impacted and systematically oppressed and go, well, well, poor people are so resilient. Like if I hear that one more time, it is it's an oppressive use of the idea of resilience. And that is not what we're talking about. We're really talking about how do we become more collectively whole? How do we not be anxious yeah. for the next yeah. 10 weeks and make a lot of decisions out of that? Right? How do we get collectively mm-hmm. more connected, present and resourced so as to take action that serves many people. So thank you. Did that clarify?
1: Yeah, no, I think so clarifying. Yeah.
0: You know, this piece about cooperation, I think a number of things are striking me. Um I am amazed at how quickly many social change organizations or social justice organizations have pivoted and are organizing really thousands of people to do a number of things in this moment. There are many, many networks of mutual aid, which is not depending on the state to really take care of what we need in our communities, but really kind of a transferring resources from where resources are to where resources are needed. There are amazing folks organizing for mutual aid. There are things getting passed that social change organizers have been working on for a long time, like basically the halt on evictions. That's happening almost across the country, and there's an opportunity to continue in that direction, right? once the virus is not at its peak, and once things are stabilizing, or there's at least more recovery in a vaccine. Um, There's amazing organizing work happening on decarceration. And that, again, a huge base of people have been working on that nationally and, of course, internationally for a long time and have had some really big successes as of late that have also prepped for, you know, uh, getting people out of prison, um, lowering the bail to zero dollars. There's a whole bunch of things happening to really go, how, how, We, how do we have profit prisons in this country how are mm-hmm. this many people in prison so that decarceration is happening obviously really different conversations around health care and socialized medicine right right, right. or right. uh or universal health care so these things which are really on a progressive agenda are literally some of the solutions to our times and people are cooperating and moving together across movements, involving government, even for-profit corporations, because we're in a time of crisis. And it doesn't mean that everyone has exactly the same agenda, but there's a lot of progressive values leading right now and a lot of justice solutions that are the solutions that are making sense. I probably shouldn't say this, but I will anyway, is I just, you know, when, when Bernie pulled out I just was like, oh, God, what a bummer. There's so many things that he's talked about over time that are the financial solutions for, 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 for the crisis. Elizabeth Warren, Bernie, they would have led this very, very differently um, because their sites were already on universal health care. Their sites were already on getting rid of the student debt. Their sites were already on basically a, 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 a universal basic income for all people. Instead of, you know, we're looking at 30% of the population being unemployed. yeah. So there's more to say there, but what do you want to say about cooperation?
1: Well, it makes me think of what you said earlier about pressure mm-hmm. and the stress test. And I was coming into this with a uh, a very unhopeful view of how this was going to play out. Mm-hmm. And of course, we don't know where it's going to go, but from the research that I had done on pandemics in particular, that sounds like that's more of a divisional type of threat. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone handed me this book by Rebecca Solnit. I don't know if you know her, but mm-hmm. um, she had written, what was it called? Another A Paradise Built in Hell. I think mm-hmm. It was, which was a study of, I think about five or six uh, natural disasters. So Katrina was one, Mexico City earthquake. And Solnit did this study that found that instead of societies devolving into a deep individualism and sort of everyone for themselves, even though that's the narrative that could be played inside of the media, for example, that actually what was happening is that under a significant amount of pressure or trauma, communities were coming together and that they were coming together with a very deep sense of purpose uh, mm. that, you know, here we are living lives uh, often in more individualized or even family containers or um, in in silos that were, that actually people were saying, wow, I, I feel like a, a suddenly I understand what, there's a different and deeper meaning to life in this moment and mm-hmm. of what's important. And I see that happening for a lot of people right now and appreciate you naming here's a moment to really get clear on what are the priorities of a movement or of a country around, for example, finances and just big policy decisions. Yeah. So I have kind of, a, I have kind of a, a, a bigger question around practice for you and embodiment is in these moments of interruption of life as usual and a moment like this, which is as if we're saying the tide is out, what is going to help us to find the new and creative ideas that we haven't even thought of before about solutions to pressures such as climate change. Mm-hmm. That I, what I hear you saying is there's definitely solutions that are lying on the floor that now we're picking up and going hey this is <laughs> we should have been looking at this policy and then there also feels like there's a an interruption and in something much vaster than the day to day which says wow what's What's most important and what are the solutions that we can't even see yet? And I'm wondering if there's any connection for you about embodiment, where we source that kind of knowledge, um, practice, where we can come into creativity. Just how do we find those new solutions about the path forward?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting, you know, when I look at like organizations like Movement Generation and what they've written about a just transition. Or like uh, grassroots global justice, um, there are. I think there's many really innovative people and organizations that have really thought about the pivot from where we currently are to a world where there was t- climate justice, right? Um, where -hmm. where we were in, Mm -hmm. you know, right balance with a planet as a a human species and the shift in the economy and the shift in the social norms and beliefs that that would take. So it's interesting when you say, I wonder if it's new ideas or if it's more and more people engaging fully, right? Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So, but I think what you're really asking too is around Practices. When I, when I look at practice right now, um, I almost want to uh, pose a question back and then I'll offer a couple, but what are the practices that have you, right? Whoever's listening here that have you get more expansive? What are the practices that have, that help you hold multiple rings of concern, right? One of the things we can also do under pressure is actually shrink ourselves up. And try to just kind of dig in and survive the moment when it's safe to come out again. And instead, I think what I'm really inviting both through resilience practice, right through an embodied resilience practice, is how do we get more resourced, resettle Mm -hmm. our own psychobiologies, and then expand out our attention so we're taking care of ourselves, we're paying attention to what's happening in our community, and then we're widening our attention out socially and politically and economically and going how can mm-hmm. i lend my mm-hmm. self to my values at this point? How can i join others who are engaged in mutual aid? How can i join others who are already engaged in The Mm -hmm. transformation of the economy toward a just transition right so 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 instead of shrinking in this time i do think we want to use our practices to widen our circles of concern right to widen who and how we can care and take action from Mm -hmm. there and like you say really go wait what do i care about what does matter i mean i think any time that we face death right, and we're, we're facing the potential of death collectively right now, it's either a time where we get super freaked out and are like, I'm running for cover.
1: Yes, right.
0: It's a time when we get super busy, like, let me go help everyone and meanwhile leave myself behind, right? That's another condition tendency. Yeah, right. Um, which would probably be mine, except I'm caught in a house <laughs> and yeah. there's only so much I can do. So it's a great time to study our condition tendencies as well. Um, Or it can be a time to go, no, let me cultivate myself through this time. Mm. Let me bring practice to whoever it is I'm living with, you know, Um, let me resource from, let me get back to more resilience and then look up, look out and act based on my values or even relook at my values right now. So those are some of the things I'd like really all of us to be doing. Um, I, I think that the people who are on the front lines right now have a lot less time and capacity to do that in some ways. How can we, who are not on the front lines, keep offering resource and resilience to those who are, of course. Um, what else would you add about practice?
1: I love that piece about it. reminds me what you just that last part of how so many people depending on multiple Identities and locations are experiencing this so differently. Like you said, those are, I heard someone name it as, um, those who are laptop jockeys, those (laughs) people who have a laptop and are able to keep working and be employed and others who maybe had a restaurant Mm -hmm. and are home or just doing any kind of service based work. They're not able to. And then those that are on the frontline workers, then those that are homeless. So just the multiple I've never been, I never lived through something where there's so much variation Mm -hmm. and that. Makes I love what you said about the widening circles of concern. Mm-hmm. That 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 practice of what's in the periphery that I'm maybe not aware of, and I think there's multiple uh, variations of mindfulness practice where it is increasing that peripheral vision and not just getting unhooked from this isolated self of my own suffering and really tying in to something much interdependent and bigger.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And this practice I've been working with is, uh, do you know the Tonglen practice from Vajjana position tradition? So this experience of, you know, coming, breathing in what oh, I'm yeah, feeling sure. in this moment, it's mm-hmm. been you know, anxiety often. And then also remembering and breathing in for everyone that is going through that experience in that moment. has mm-hmm. been so, so that's been a helpful one for me. And then I feel like with your work and we're only just scratching the surface of this awesome book that I have sitting in front of me where embodied resilience practice is, I'd say just one part of what you've been practicing for so many years around embodiment and somatics. And I appreciate that we're honing in on embodiment potential practice, but it seems like what you've been doing around Mm -hmm. embodiment practice can really support in so many different ways This Uh, what you just named around that peripheral vision or expanding the circles of concern. Do you, do you want to talk about any other practices? I know we won't have probably the time to get into all the different um, chapters of the book and the different angles, but do you want to talk about any other practices that you see as relevant for people or communities right now?
0: Yeah. Again, it feels like one of the most important things under this level of collective pressure is that we don't atomize, that we don't split. And then compete for resources. Like when I look at that baseline of like what, I mean, there's a there's a big political risk, which I'll talk about when I look, but when I look kind of individually in groups and communities, like sometimes what this pressure can do is have us split, you know, make each other bad, (laughs) um, compete for resources. That's what we don't want to do as much as possible. And so, along with resilience practice. I think the other practice I just want to point to, and again, this is really talked about much more thoroughly in the book under Regenerating Safety, um, but it's a practice that comes out of Aikido, right? Which is one of the philosophies that informs the, the lineage of somatics that I'm a part of. And it's, a, it's an, uh, an idea called blending. So uh, blending is basically... Uh, I mean, in many ways, it's a mindfulness practice. It's being able to be with what is. So let's say it's anxiety. Let's say it's um, a knot in your stomach. Let's say it's your shoulders and your neck are so tight, like however something might manifest for you. It's being with that emotional or somatic or physical state and supporting it in the direction it's going. That can seem very counterintuitive, but there is, like you said before, intelligence, a deep intelligence inside of these states or survival strategies that um, can take over. So, if that is happening, and if you're like, wow, resilience seems like a good idea, but it's not (laughs) going to work, what we can also do, and I would actually put these both together, is blend with support that state in the direction it's going so let's just use the shoulders and neck if they're feeling tight you can just very very gently go in the direction that they're going right and i don't mean really tighten them more but follow the impulse to tighten be present with that and what's very interesting about the soma is once you listen Mm -hmm. and support it in the direction it's going it tends to start softening Right When we try to overmanage our anxiety or just relax that muscle that keeps being tense, we know what happens. It tends to just revert back to the state it was in. Um, if you're feeling scared inside, it's like locate that fear. Let's say it's around your chest or your solar plexus. Bring your attention, feel it, and then basically blend with it or go Of course, you're afraid. Be as afraid as you need to be. Yeah. Right. But keep locating it, not just cognitively located in the body. So, if I would say those are really the two practices to me for our times, is one is blend with the challenge because it's a challenging time, and then cultivate resilience. And our purpose out of all of that is to be able to recenter ourselves get connected to what we care about in a deep sense of values and then bring our attention also up and out right to take skillful action so i want to throw in one more thing if it's okay with you yeah please you spoke about this with with naomi klein's work she's doing a number of great podcasts with other people um, uh, during this time, boy, people are being creative and like putting out their work, which I'm really appreciating. Yeah. But there are risks right now. I mean, there are large risks of a consolidation of resources and power even more into the elite. There are risks toward a mass level state control that is a repressive state control. There is. A risk, and it's already happening, of more surveillance. And those things aren't just like, oh, that's happening and it'll pass. <laughs> those are things we really have to pay attention to and interrupt through organizing and through social action. So I, I do want to be present to our times and be paying attention to both, like you said, the really cooperative possibilities and the moving toward our values in this time and also the restrictive and repressive or more oppressive possibilities in our time. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. obviously we want to keep feeding the former.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Could you, um, I'm wondering if you'd like to vision here as something I know that you like to do of in any direction you want here. It could be um, what you see some of the best case scenarios or new practices coming out of, of COVID for different communities. Um, It could also be for, you know, again, this body of work around embodiment and trauma and these two different (laughs) uh, areas that you bridged that are coming closer and closer together, like your hope for um, what psychology transformative work could look like in the years to come. But do you, do you have any, um, would you like to vision at all yeah. about what you want to see?
0: Yeah. Thanks for asking. I, I, um I feel like I've done that some around kind of the, our, our COVID <laughs> possibilities. So I, I'm going to mm-hmm. just bring it back to the, you know, what do I hope for healers, therapists, psychologists, um, mindfulness, right? What do I hope there? And then what do I hope for movements in this bridging? And I think, I think this moment, this pandemic is showing us this even more. I think that really all transformative technologies need to be grounded in a systemic analysis of power. And questions we can ask ourselves really are like, who benefits? Um, On whose back? Do those people benefit? For what? end game and you said this in the very beginning around mindfulness and meditation you know we can use mindfulness to become more aware of or calm ourselves and we can also use mindfulness for a larger purpose of being able to deeply be present with what is and then move into a kind of um skilled response right or skilled action Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So I I, I just um, I think I want to be like an invitation and a call to the mindfulness worlds, the U.S. based yoga worlds, the psychotherapeutic worlds, the trauma conferences, right? To really say we want to deeply integrate an understanding of our social ec- and economic conditions. Our histories that have shaped the level of segregation we still live in in this country, right? Mm-hmm. That are shaping who are most impacted by COVID, right? That is our society speaking, that is our economy speaking. And if we're about healing and we're about healing trauma, then let us more deeply understand the root causes of trauma, which I think many of them are social inequities, are the root causes of trauma. And then how do we change the source of that? Yeah. So mm-hmm. what I hope for is I don't want there to be more mindful capitalism. Right. I don't want there to be more mindfulness available um, for communities that primarily are privileged and have the most access anyway. Right. I don't want it to be be used for that end. Like, can we use mindfulness for justice, and sustainability? Can we use mindfulness to build communities, societies, and economies that um, serve all, all beings? You know, it's, it's funny. That there's such deep prayer inside of many meditation traditions around the for all beings. And I just want to keep inviting us to go, what does that mean concretely in our money, in our time, in access, um, and in the work that we do?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. and then for social and climate justice movements i mean um as with people who do transformative work whom i deeply appreciate i deeply appreciate the time the effort and the thousands of hours of practice that go into that i also really want to deeply appreciate those people who every day day in and day out are about building something for the collective and that's really how i see social and climate justice movements is like they are looking to take care of the collective in a very profound way. And for those folks, I just want to keep going, how can one let transformative practice support you and support your organizations? Um, It is very easy to get hyper stressed, to burn out, um, to have dire health consequences from the weight of that work. And that Resilience, transforming, doing our own healing from trauma and oppression can actually also pivot our visions and our strategies for change. Um, It can definitely pivot our relationships with each other so that we're taking care of each other in a deeper way. Um, It can also help us open up and say, hey, let's have 200,000 new people join this movement and you're welcome here. You're welcome here because we need all of us, right? So deepening practice approaches to healing, um, integrating that more into our social movement work, I think can have strong benefits.
1: That's awesome. It's um, one of the things I've always appreciated about you and then the organizations that I've met you through, like Generative Somatics, where there there isn't a polarization between the dialectic I think you're describing. Actually, it's a synergistic one. To say one can serve the other. Yes, we do healing and trauma work as individuals and communities, which can serve strategy, which can therefore open more possibilities. I just feel like that's something that you embody and, and that you've really spoken to. So
0: yeah, well, that, yeah, thank, that thank you. is the hope. You know, how do we use sure. that particular dynamic tension for transformation rather than polarization, right?
1: Yeah. 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 Exactly. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to um, spend any time on?
0: I, um, this has been great. Um, you know, I feel like uh, this is such a time for questions and, um, but not only questions because it's really a time for like love connection and action um, as well. Mm-hmm. So I just appreciate, it. I feel like we covered the gamut and hopefully when we can, talk again in the future will be at a different collective moment.
1: Yeah, indeed. I, I want that too. Um, can you talk about if people want to get in touch with you, how can they, can they do that? Do you have, do you have a website? You have a website. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: so you can go to the politics of trauma.com and uh, you can sign up for um, on the email list there, get a chapter for free, Um, you can also find me at, uh, generative somatics. Um, so you can find me there as well. Those are the two best places to find me. And, um, I just want to put a plug in the end here. Um, there are really concrete social justice efforts that folks can support now. Um, it's great to find ones in your local area. Um, some of the national organizations you can support are the National Domestic Workers Alliance. Um, they are, doing an incredible job of getting resources to um, caregivers, um, nannies, domestic workers, most of whom are currently out of work because of shelter in place. Um, You can also look to Surge showing up for racial justice. They're doing a lot, a lot of organizing around, well, so many things, just check out what they're doing. Um, You can look at grassroots global justice, uh, Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity and uh, also the Asian Pacific Environmental Network or other national climate justice organizations. So it's a great time to join even if you're just joining by first donating. There are, actually are a lot of online actions or even local stay in your car actions that can really help us move toward toward um, our values in this time.
1: That's awesome. That's, I hadn't heard of stay in your car Oh, <laughs> stay in your yeah, car actions. Stay in but... your car
0: actions. It's awesome. Everyone's in their car, but all the cars go out and that's the action.
1: Wow. That's wow. People are amazing. Just the creative ways <laughs> people are organizing right now. It's incredible. And thank you for all, for the shout outs. I mean, the, I hadn't the National Domestic Workers Alliance and just how important it would be to be supporting domestic workers right now yep. um, is so important. It's again, that tied out and revealing who is often taking care of the collective in so many ways. And so right. thanks for that shout out. Well, Stacey Haynes, thank you so much. Thanks for uh, thanks for being here. Thank you for your work. I encourage everyone to check out the book. It's awesome. And um, I'm hoping that you'll come back again one time. We can talk more soon.
0: Awesome. David, thank you for your time and for this space.
1: That brings us to the end of this episode of the Trauma Sensitive Mindfulness Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Stacy for joining us. If you have any requests of people that you'd like to hear or topics that you'd like us to cover, you're welcome to email us at support at davidtrelevin.com. Talk to you soon.